0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. Thank you for joining us again today. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to be here. We always like to start with the Angelus. Do you have an intention for today's Angelus? Yeah, you know, I
1: thought um, since tomorrow is the International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking, let's pray for all the people, especially um, women and children who are uh, victims of human trafficking, a terrible scourge in the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among
0: women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto
1: me according to your word.
0: that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray.
1: Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Welcome to Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this all-new episode of Truth in Charity, Bishop Kevin Rhodes talks about the upcoming National Human Trafficking Awareness Day and ways we can remain educated on the issue as well as advocate, care, and pray for victims. Then it's on to Lent and how we can have a fruitful one. The show wraps up with Bishop Rhodes explaining his new devotion to St. Apollonia and then questions submitted by listeners. You can submit yours at redeemerradio.com slash askbishop.
0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and we've got a lot to talk about today including we'll answer some questions that have been submitted from listeners and uh, you mentioned that tomorrow... February 8th is the first International Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking. So, whenever we talk about human trafficking, uh, I guess, how do we focus on both of those aspects of prayer and of awareness?
1: Both are important. I mean, it's important to be educated on this uh, issue because it's, um, it's an attack, really, an offense against human dignity truly modern-day slavery when Mm -hmm. you think about it so i think it's really important that we be involved in eradicating this there's sex trafficking there's labor trafficking thankfully the usccb the united states conference of catholic bishops were very involved on this issue i'd say we're one of the leaders in our nation in fighting this in advocating for victims And also caring for victims, Mm -hmm. you know, migration and refugee services, which is part of the USCCB leads a lot of efforts to combat human trafficking. I think a lot of people just aren't aware of how widespread it is. I mean, around the world and even here in our own country, Mm -hmm. you know, it's been estimated and these are good statistics that about 17,000 men, women and children are trafficked across our borders every year. Mm forced into this kind of slavery. Of course, there's many, many more in other countries uh, around the world. So we need to do all we can to fight this. I recommend that people become educated on the issue. I think that's why it's good we have the National Human Trafficking Awareness Day. I think it's important that we preach about it in homilies. Around the globe, there are millions of people who are being trafficked, and they're really living in slavery today. Some are, as I mentioned, trafficked internally in countries, but sometimes they're trafficked internationally. It's really pretty awful. I mean, I saw a movie a couple months ago, and there was a young woman. It was uh, based on a true story, and it was like a documentary, and it just showed the life of some young women who were trafficked, and they were made to be prostitutes mm-hmm. and these were teenage girls it was heartbreaking you know the sexual exploitation and then there's those who are i don't know if you noticed in africa those kids who are forcibly recruited to be soldiers child soldiers by armed forces mm-hmm. you know like Boko Haram and other terrorist groups have done so there's these there's a variety of forms of human trafficking i'd say a lot of it is for prostitution and sexual stuff but there's also for labor cheap Mm -hmm. labor it's horrible when you think about it so the church is has certainly been very vocal about it the catholic church has spoken out a long time against this uh, human trafficking and slavery forced labor prostitution selling of women and children some of them putting really disgraceful working conditions all these things pope john paul ii spoke out a lot against this so did pope benedict and so does pope francis all of our popes have spoken extensively about the need to end this modern day slavery
0: the day for this uh, day of prayer and awareness it seems to have been chosen because it's the feast day of Saint Josephine Bakita. Yeah, she was canonized back in the year 2000, the
1: Jubilee year. Okay. And she was from Sudan, southern Sudan, the area that was Darfur. She was uh, had the name Bakita, and she was not only sold into slavery; she was resold. So she had different masters along the way. This is back in the 1800s. And finally she was sold to an Italian consul and he brought her to Italy and gave her to a friend of his. Being there in Italy, she was drawn to the Catholic Church. She became baptized and confirmed and she took the name Josephine. So okay. we call her St. Josephine Baquita. Baquita was her African name and Josephine is her Christian name. She was freed, but she wanted to stay in Italy, and she became a religious sister. She entered the Institute of St. Magdalene of Canosa. She was involved in uh, I think teaching children in one of the schools. she was assisted the community with cooking and sewing and all those kinds of things. but um the thing was her body was mutilated many times by the different owners that she had as a slave so imagine she suffered so much through her life but then she learned when she was introduced to Christianity to Catholicism about her own dignity mm-hmm. as a human being that God loved her that there was another master who wasn't cruel but who was her loving God and um, she fell in love with Christ and it really is a beautiful story I recommend people you know if you don't know the story of St. Josephine Baquida, to read it she died around 1940 on february 8th 1947 as i said she was canonized in in the year 2000 by saint john paul ii and what a great intercessor she is i think for victims of human trafficking today victims of modern day slavery
0: and hopefully anybody would realize the how horrible it is for human trafficking to exist. Uh, Obviously, some people are doing it, so they have justified it in some way or another. But is this really just an extension of, or maybe an extreme version of uh, treating people like objects or dehumanizing certain people in the form of racism or other things that we do that is accepted by a lot of people? I think you're
1: right, Kyle. I think it also reveals the corruption of money because this is being done for material profit Mm, yeah so people being used as commodities i mean people are making money on this sex trade or they're making money on child labor in these things so it's a combination i don't you know it's hard for us to imagine how someone can do that to a child to Mm -hmm. an innocent person but it happens The consciences are dulled, I guess. Yeah.
0: Well, again, if, like in the case of, you know, pornography, where we start treating people like objects and dehumanize people, uh, maybe we're kind of training people in our society to accept things like this. Right. You're right. All right. Well, any suggestions for us on how we can uh, take action and educate ourselves, uh, but also keep this in prayer? Yeah, I think definitely keep it in
1: prayer. I think the other thing is to become informed and also to try to advocate for victims. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with our legislators in that to to be you know, we should have stronger legislation against pornography, for mm-hmm. example. Who are the victims of pornography? Those who are being used in these forms, it's terrible. So I think there's a lot that can be done. I recommend checking it out in You know, you could get involved in one of the Catholic Church's programs that fights human trafficking. You could get on the USCCB website and just look up our anti-trafficking program. Some of the individual programs, one is called the Amistad Movement, Amistad Movement, that could be, one could uh, take part in that. There's another program called Become a Shepherd, where one feels that they're called to do this. So there's various programs we have different coalitions of catholic organizations against human trafficking you could check out some of the communities of religious sisters right here in our own diocese are involved in that any of these programs would be good you know one of the things that can happen too is um, there's some good documentary films and some feature films on this topic i would recommend for example check out One of the movies and maybe if you have a youth group in your parish show Mm. it you know and there's a discussion guide that goes with some of these movies we need to promote awareness of it and also to help prevent it in any way that we can as far as prayer there is a human trafficking stations of the cross that we have on our usccb website which is really beautiful where you take the 14 stations and while you're praying the, the, the stations of the cross, you can meditate also on the suffering of those who are victims of trafficking, uh, kind of seeing the parallels with the sufferings of Christ.
0: All right, and that's all available from the USCCB's website? Correct, correct. Right. You know, another
1: thing I thought of as you were talking is, you know, as consumers, we should uh, be ethical consumers. So it'd be good to... Um, Make sure that some of the organizations or companies, corporations, that they're paying just wages to their workers and things like that. We're big into that with CRS as well, what we call ethical trading.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that this is happening not just abroad, but also in the United States. Also, there's been some recent articles about some of this happening in Indiana, including Fort Wayne and South Bend. So, like you said, being aware of kind of what to look for. And I know there's been training for uh, teachers and things like that to, to watch out to see if, you know, something might kind of tip you off that there's something happening here and you can reported if, if necessary so correct uh, it's good to be aware of it also good to keep them in your prayers for the, so thanks for the reminder sure coming up we'll chat about the upcoming lenten season and some tips and we'll have some questions submitted by you right here on truth and charity with bishop Rhodes. brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here. We're talking about the Feast of St. Paul Miki and Companions, which uh, are apparently the first Japanese martyrs, which was a, I was reading about this, is a very violent yet admirable event at the same time. What do we know about St. Paul Miki? Well, there were 26
1: martyrs that we honor on that day, and um, it's in Japan, Paul Miki was a brother, a Jesuit, and he was a Japanese himself. He was a native of Japan he 's probably the most well known of the uh, twenty six martyrs, and they were crucified in Nagasaki on a mountain they call it the Holy Mountain. Hmm. It kind of is outside Nagasaki. Now we know Nagasaki is the place where the second atomic bomb was dropped, but it's also well known for you know with Catholics, especially in Japan, as a very holy site because of the martyrs. And it's interesting the group there were priests there were brothers there were lay people most were Japanese some were missionaries from other countries but they were cruelly tortured they were crucified on this hill and then they were stabbed with spears if you've seen any of the artwork of it and these were old and young I mean there were even children some of them were Jesuits some were Franciscans some were lay catechists some were just simple people and um It was very gruesome. After that, really, I'd say Christianity was thought to have been eradicated. That happened at the uh, end of the 16th century when they were martyred. It seemed like Christianity was dead in Japan. Hmm. But it's interesting. A couple hundred years later, when missionaries returned to Japan, this was in the 1860s, not expecting to find any Catholics, any Christians left, They found thousands living around Nagasaki. So they had preserved the faith. We know we have that expression from Tertullian the blood of the martyrs is the seed of Christians. Yeah. So somehow, for what, 300 years almost, the faith continued. No priests, but they passed on their faith in Christ through many generations Hmm. um, secretly. You know, yeah. they secretly preserve the faith. It's. I'm very inspired by martyrs all the time, but I I find it especially remarkable that story about how these uh, these people preserved in church as hidden Catholics for a few centuries. I just think it's uh, amazing. I don't know, if Kyle, if or you or the listeners have seen the movie Silence. I have not. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't. either. I did buy the book, and I. I read about half of it. I need to continue reading it, uh-huh. but that's about the martyrs of Japan, and it's it's kind of a it's a novel, right. a little bit disturbing. I understand, but I've heard different reactions to it because it has to do with an apostasy of one of the missionary priests. But others have told me even as disturbing as that is, again, it's a novel, but gets you really thinking. Right? Um, he renounced his faith, and uh, this is what I heard in order to save others he couldn't stand watching the torture. But I think the heroes, some have said, are really the Japanese themselves who would not
0: apostasize. Right, right. So anyhow, I'd like to finish reading the book. Why was Christianity banned in the first place in Japan? It's a good
1: question. I don't know a whole lot of the the history. I do know that there was a lot of power of the Buddhist monks. You know, I think there was a wariness of foreigners coming in. And uh, these were foreign missionaries who had brought Christianity. I think at first they were accepted, but then they saw it as a threat. They saw Catholicism as a threat, and they started to persecute Catholics and then abandon Christianity. So I, I would really need to study that more, but those, I think, are the basic points.
0: Speaking on the topic of apostasy, you mentioned when somebody is given the the choice to renounce the faith in God uh, or they're going to die. And in this case, maybe they were in the story, at least this fictional version of it, he was told that if you don't renounce your faith, I'm not only going to kill you, but I'm going to kill these other people. Right. So it's one thing to sacrifice yourself for your faith, and then maybe it's another thing to sacrifice other lives right. for your faith. Is there a point where this becomes – Uh, less of a sin or not a sin at all, Uh, maybe especially being under duress and uh, after days and maybe months or years of torture? We can
1: speak objectively about it being the sin of apostasy, but we can't judge the state of the soul of the person. You know, I think that's all the time in whatever sin we're talking about, including this one. So, yeah, I mean, when there's duress, that would um, not take all culpability away but it could lessen the culpability Okay, especially if this priest for example who apostatized it doesn't i i, I haven't finished the book yet <laughs> right. but I, from what i understand is he didn't do it to save his own life he did it to save the lives of other japanese catholics mm-hmm. still doesn't justify it because it's an intrinsically evil thing to commit the sin of apostasy
0: all right another saint that we Celebrating the church, St. Apollonia. This feast day is February 9th. I understand you have a a special (laughs) devotion to St. Apollonia. Yeah,
1: you know, uh, St. Apollonia is not on the universal calendar, so Uh most people never heard of her. Yeah, But she was an early early martyr, and um, I kind of learned about her because a couple weeks ago I had to have a tooth pulled, a tooth extracted and i wasn't really looking forward to it i had broken this tooth and i was just like oh i got it. and i knew i had to have it extracted and so i went to the dentist and for some reason i started i talking to my dentist who's a really good catholic dr robert eber in uh, fort wayne and uh asked Dr. Eber about who the patron saint of dentists is, because I said, I'll say a prayer uh-huh. before he worked on my tooth. <laughs> and he said, St. Apollonia. Uh-huh. So I checked her out. I did a Google search uh-huh. and found out that she's not only the patron saint of dentists, but also of dental patients. Okay. So now I have to tell you, when I was growing up, I got a lot of cavities. Back in those years, we didn't have the... I don't know, fluoride or whatever. Sure. So, and when I would go to the dentist, they never gave you Novocaine or anesthesia for, for fillings and stuff. So it was always a horrible experience. Sure. I mean, I just remember the pain, you know. I don't know if it was just, if my family couldn't afford it or what. But, but, you know, uh, anyhow, so I didn't have a very good feeling. So I knew I had to get this tooth pulled. So I, I read about Apollonia, and I found out that she was tortured by... They were crushing her teeth and extracting them, of course, without any anesthesia. Mm -hmm. So... I had this tooth removed, and during, it took like an hour because it was breaking and all that. But the whole time, I was thinking, don't be a wimp. Think about St. Apollonia. Yeah. You know, she suffered much more. So anyhow, if you're getting dental work, anyone out there listening, or your dentist, tell them about St. Apollonia. And So I feel like I have a new friend in heaven.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drew you closer in that in that moment. Well, speaking of sacrifice maybe Lent begins a week from today on February 14th any tips or suggestions for getting ready for Lent I think it's just good to be thinking about it I I always
1: recommend think about the three traditional practices prayer fasting and almsgiving I always recommend try to do one thing in each of those areas something special in prayer something special uh, regarding self-denial fasting and some kind of almsgiving I think it's good to try to do something in each area again you know think of something that's really gonna have an effect just I think in the area of prayer you know what's gonna help deepen your own spiritual life is it the daily rosary perhaps or try to go to daily mass during Lent but I think it's good to be realistic Mm -hmm. you know in the sense of okay think about it and really be resolved to do it for 40 days same with fasting same with almsgiving so you want the lenten season to be fruitful be realistic don't be too easy on yourself uh, but remember what's the purpose of it it's to draw closer yeah. to christ it's to make you a person of, of of deeper faith hope and charity by the grace of god so what would lead you to that end is the question
0: yeah One of the things maybe we could suggest for the men listening is this Lent you could take part in the Rekindle the Fire Men's Conference, which is going to be February 24th at the Allen County War Memorial Coliseum in Fort Wayne. Uh, You will be one of the speakers along with Christopher West and Joe Ferris. Uh, Do you make it every year to the of the firemen's conference, I do. Yeah, yeah, it's a great event. I usually have the mass.
1: Well, I always have the mass mm-hmm. and preach a homily at the mass. But this year, I'm also going to give one of the keynote talks. So I'm looking forward to doing that.
0: What are you going to be speaking on? They
1: asked me to speak on the mass, on all the parts of the mass. So I haven't really completed my preparations, but I I I, uh, I like that topic. I'm looking forward to it.
0: You probably know a little bit about the mass <laughs> that you can share. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Uh, What is it about the men's conference that you enjoy, or why would you encourage men to participate in it? First of all, I think it's great for the Catholic men to get together Mm -hmm. in fellowship
1: and in prayer. That's part of the day. There's opportunities to go to confession. There's the mass. There's Catholic vendors there. There's an opportunity you know, to, to for Eucharistic adoration. Mm-hmm. But also, they always get a great lineup of speakers. This year, Christopher West, who's a friend of mine. He lives in the Diocese of Harrisburg, so I've known Christopher a lot of years. Great okay. speaker on Theology of the Body, yeah. a lot of good books. So I know he'll be really good. And I understand they have another dynamic speaker who I don't know, Joe Farris. Uh-huh. So I think you'll really get a lot out of it. I recommend – and also to the men – if you've been there before, you know, invite some of your friends or brothers or relatives or sons, whatever. You know, spread the word. Yeah, um, I think it's just great, and, and that it takes place during Lent. It's a day that you're going to give over to the Lord. It's a good sacrifice to make, but it can really, really have a, a great impact. Spending that time, giving that time, you can really focus on your faith and be rekindled mm-hmm. in your faith.
0: Well, you can go to rekindlethefire.net to check out information about that. You can register online, get signed up. Uh, maybe wives, you could sign your husband up and tell him it's a little gift, and he can go to the Rekindle the Fire conference. Again, rekindlethefire.net. And if you have any questions, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com askbishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line with your question at 260 436 95 98 and coming up we're going to ask questions that were submitted by listeners right here on truth and charity with bishop Rhodes. brought to you in part by notre dame federal credit union welcome back to truth and charity with bishop Rhodes. i am kyle hyman asking questions that you have submitted our first question comes from a listener who asked is the sacrament of holy oil given to the dying the very sick and very old like a second baptism the name of the sacrament
1: is anointing of the sick, mm-hmm. and it uses the oil of the sick. Only a priest or bishop can administer this sacrament. And the listener's correct, it's for those who are very sick, or elderly, very weak, or dying,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or those who are in danger. For example, it's good to get anointed if you're going to have major surgery oh, Okay. Um, prior to major surgery. I would not speak of it as a second baptism, no really it's a sacrament of healing so it's more connected to the sacrament of penance than it is to baptism the important thing is it's uh, it's receiving the grace of strength in this the trial of physical suffering and it's strength of soul is really the i'd say the principal effect although sometimes there can actually be physical healings i've i've even experienced that i've seen that so you pray for healing and basically it's a um, it's receiving the grace of the Lord to endure suffering. It's amazing the graces that come from anointing of the sick. I think it's a beautiful sacrament. So if you know someone who is in this situation where they'd be a proper recipient, it's good to call a priest and ask him to come to to give that sacrament of anointing.
0: Does it take the place, or is it done in addition to? Confession.
1: It's done in addition to confession unless the person is unable, because sometimes a person might be unconscious or or they might not uh, be aware enough to be able to make a confession. Mm -hmm. And, of course, God understands that. But there is that element of forgiveness of sins that is part of anointing of the sick, but it doesn't substitute for the sacrament of penance when a person is able to go. Got it.
0: Another question submitted is, do you think Mary knew she was special growing up? Did Jesus know he was God's son all his life or just before he started his ministry? Well, the first question about Mary,
1: the church doesn't say anything about this. My own opinion is that I didn't think I don't think she knew she was special. I mean, I think she was so humble. I hmm. I, I don't know that before the Annunciation that she would have had an idea that she had a special mission that's just my opinion but the second question is something we could spend more than a whole hour on kyle it has to do with the self-knowledge of jesus and there's been so much written on this this has been disputed for centuries Hmm. but i i'm trying to think of how to explain this in a short answer as short as i can do in the middle ages Theology developed with people like St. Thomas Aquinas and others when they would discuss the human knowledge of Jesus, they believed that he had the beatific vision from his conception. In other words, that he had this special vision of God and knew everything from this, either through the beatific vision or what's called infused knowledge. And then he also had acquired knowledge. So there'd be these three levels of knowledge. Okay. And um, again, I could get into this more in detail. But that was more of a medieval thing. But that really was the common belief of theologians for centuries up until the 20th century. And then there was in the 20th century kind of a recovery of the fathers of the church and a lot of theologians began to question that that jesus had this knowledge of everything even as a infant or even as an unborn child so where are we at today well you can read about this in the catechism of the catholic church Pope John Paul spoke about it, so did Pope Benedict. In the 1980s, there was a great document about this by the Pontifical Biblical Commission and another by the International Theological Commission. I'd say the more common theological consensus today is different from what St. Thomas and some of those other medievals believed. We could summarize that Jesus, yes, Jesus knew he was God. He knew he was the son of god he knew he had a mission and he knew what it was he intended to found the church which he did the idea that he kind of had the beatific vision though in this life i mean you could believe that as a catholic but you don't have to believe it okay i remember when saint john paul ii dealt with this he spoke of how at his death Jesus' soul entered into the beatific vision in the bosom of the Trinity. Hmm. And when I heard John Paul say that, I said, wow, he's going against the medieval notion that Jesus had the beatific vision. And I always had a problem with that idea, because how could Jesus have really suffered, especially the anguish of the Passion, you know, if he had the beatific vision at that time, you know?
0: Um how so could you meaning, reconcile those mean, it, it wouldn't have been difficult for him to make that decision right. if he had this right kind of perfect yeah it wouldn't have been of, the depth okay. of his suffering yeah
1: you know and also there are times where jesus in his life we read in the gospels where he says that he didn't know the time of the end of the world remember right only the father knows that well how do you explain that if he had all this knowledge that they claimed that he had that he knew everything past, present, and future perfectly as God this and we're talking about Jesus in his human nature, uh-huh. you know, not as the the second person, of the Trinity, so anyhow, the question then comes you'll say, okay, Jesus knew he was God, you knew he was the son of God, I think that's very clear. you read the scriptures, Jesus even says things like the Father and I are one, you know, for example. The way, and this is in all the synoptic gospels, not just in John's gospel, where you see his intimate relationship with the Father, that he addressed God as Abba. That was unheard of. Hmm. He knew he was the Son. There's like two extremes here. There are those that would say that Jesus knew everything in his human consciousness. Well, I mean, why does it say in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, that he grew in wisdom and grace, Right. you know, as a child? If he had everything, if he had the beatific vision and had this infused knowledge from the womb, I mean, that just – how do you explain those scripture passages? I yeah. think it's difficult. So, now, the church doesn't say, like, when Jesus came to that awareness or anything, but but I think it's clear that Jesus uh, – and the other extreme I forgot to mention is that he didn't know anything. Like, he never knew he, who he was or what his mission was. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous, I think, too, because – we see clearly he had a mission i mean he knew his mission he spoke right. of it he would say things like the son of man came not to be served but to serve to give his life as a ransom for the many i mean there's so many scripture quotes i that that show that jesus had a knowledge of who he was and what he was about why he was on earth so i think we have to avoid both extremes the extreme that says he had the beatific vision on earth, and the other extreme, which is that he didn't understand what he was about. You might ask, well, can someone still believe that Jesus had the beatific vision and infused knowledge of everything from the moment of his conception? I mean, a Catholic could believe that. I mean, the Church hasn't definitively pronounced on this, Mm, but I would say most theologians, and when you think about it, I'd I'd find it difficult to believe that. So anyhow, as I said, you could take a whole course in theology on just this topic. I'm not doing it justice. I'm just giving you kind of a brief, getting right down to the chase, and I guess the the question that the uh, caller asked, I'd very simply say, yes, Jesus did know he was God's son. The question of whether he knew it all his life or just before he started his ministry, I don't know that we've answered that. I think he had an intuitive knowledge always, but how conceptual was that? I think that's what he grew in that. Because if he, you know, as a one-year-old, he didn't even have the facility with language at that point.
0: Right. Well, I want to skip ahead then because I also asked why are there still debates and questions in doctrine and theology after 2000 years because we're dealing with mysteries
1: yeah divine mysteries you know the church defines certain doctrines and when they're defined they're called dogmas i mean even if we wrestle with them there's clear teaching there where if you're really a faithful catholic you do believe the dogmas that have been defined as matters of faith Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of doctrines that were just like this that we're talking about about the human knowledge of christ where we don't have a defined dogma on that so there's still a lot of theological speculation that goes on or even theological debate about how we understand certain defined dogmas Mm -hmm. but i think that is because these are mysteries of faith that really surpass our human understanding So, we continue to delve more deeply into the mystery.
0: I suppose if it were necessary for our salvation, then we would have that defined. But these things, because we don't know them, it's clear that they're not necessary for our salvation to understand completely all these details. That's right. That's very good. All right. Well, you can ask your questions by going to RedeemerRadio.com askbishop You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598, and we've got more of your questions coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman asking questions that you have submitted. Mary Danner from St. Pius X in Granger asked, does a permanent deacon choose the parish that he serves in, or is that decided by the bishop? Thank you. You're welcome, Mary. I can answer that
1: very uh, quickly. It is, a deacon's assignment is decided by the bishop. Just like our priests make a promise of obedience to the bishop to go where they are assigned, it's the same thing with our permanent deacons. And I assign them according to need. Where is the pastoral need? And sometimes it might be in their home parish. Sometimes it may not be.
0: Okay. And then Angie Lingenfelter from St. Therese Little Flower in South Bend asked, what is the difference between priests, monks, friars, and brothers? Can they all celebrate mass? No, only priests
1: can celebrate mass. Now there are monks who are priests. Mm Mm-hmm but not all monks are priests. There are friars who are priests, but not all friars are priests. Okay, And brothers are not priests. Okay. So let me try to explain the difference. I think it might be easy. I mean, everyone knows what a priest is. A priest is someone who's received ordination through the sacrament of holy orders. Mm-hmm. Some priests are diocesan, which means they promise obedience to the bishop, and they're directly under him. They serve in the diocese. There are other priests who are members of religious institutes what we sometimes call religious orders we all know dominicans and franciscans and jesuits and vincentians and all kinds of religious priests who have religious superiors they're under obedience to their superiors priests that's priests now when you look at the word monk a monk is Someone who lives in a monastery is part of a monastic order where part of their life, maybe all their life, is contemplative, or part of their life is contemplative. Of course, probably the most famous would be Saint Benedict. You know, he founded the Benedictine order, the Benedictine monks, mm-hmm. who of course are all over the world at this point. And so you have a Benedictine monastery, a Benedictine abbey and some of those the monks just live in the abbey monastery and don't go out others they live in the abbey but they might do some work outside the abbey they are monks they live a monastic life they pray together several times during the day Mm -hmm. in the monastery and as i said some are priests and some are not some are brothers now St. Benedict is considered the founder of Western monasticism. That's back in the 5th and 6th century. There are some other monastic orders that have grown up since then. But then in the Middle Ages, there was a new phenomenon where we have what are called mendicant brothers. These are not monks. They are not living together in a monastery. Instead, they're called mendicants they travel Mm -hmm. and they preach well in the middle ages these groups began and of course the most famous are the franciscans and the dominicans Uh they're called friars they are not monks they don't live that monastic life behind the walls of a monastery they're out and about they're traveling preachers right And so St. Francis started this with the Franciscans in Assisi and St. Dominic, the Dominicans, the Order of Preachers. They went out among the people. They went out to preach. They went out to educate. They went out to serve the sick. So they are called friars. Some of the friars are priests. Some are brothers. Okay. So hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. now if you think of some groups like the jesuits or the salesians they're not diocesan they're mm-hmm. not monks and they're not friars they are religious priests so they're part of a religious congregation with their own superiors but they don't fit into the
0: uh monk or friar category okay another question from angie is i sometimes feel overwhelmed at the number of devotions i hear about praying the rosary daily novenas devotions to the sacred heart of jesus the holy family etc we can't pray all of them all the time do you have suggestions to discern daily devotions yes i would say angie um these devotions are it's it's totally
1: personal Mm -hmm. you know i think you you want to pick the devotions that touch your heart the most like there might be uh you might want to switch sometimes you know according to liturgical seasons i would say whatever you feel draws you closer to god you can try different devotions but i don't think it's a good idea to multiply many many devotions because then it can become kind of superficial i love for example the litany of the sacred heart of jesus i just think that's such a beautiful litany and I've loved that since I was ordained hmm. and I love to pray that off, you know, on a Friday. So that became part of my routine, I would say, and it's very special. But if at a po- certain point that I don't find I'm it's that fruitful for me, I might just discontinue using that devotion. Sure. I think we have to have total freedom in that. So, as far as, you know, suggestions to discern, I I think um, it's good to try different ones. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely make sure the devotion is approved by the church, because there's some kind of crazy devotions that aren't approved by the church out there. So, make sure it has an imprimatur or whatever. But timeless devotions like the Holy Rosary, certain novenas, the Litany of the Sacred Heart, I mean, they're all beautiful. So, I would just say you discern according to what is you find most stirring of your heart to love and serve the Lord.
0: Well, believe it or not, Bishop, we've done 30 shows together and with hopefully many more to come. And so thank you so much for doing this for us. And thank you to the listeners who have been with us and they share the show with others as well. Specifically, Marianne Soborowski from St. Jude Parish in South Bend, who wrote in to say, just wanted to say thank you for being such a wonderful example of who Jesus is and the way you share his message of love and hope. Our kids at Catholic Summer Youth Camp really enjoy your enthusiasm. Grandma S. So she's sharing this with uh, the kids at the summer camp. So um, thank you, Bishop, so much. Oh, thank you. This is a lot of fun, and I
1: hope the listeners enjoy it and hopefully learn more about their faith through this program.
0: And, and Kyle, you make it a lot of fun, so thank you. <laughs> Along those same lines, Marianne Doling is uh, apparently a faithful listener who really enjoys it, and she said she loves the show. oh thanks Marianne thank you so much all right before we go could we get
1: your Episcopal blessing Bishop sure the Lord be with you and with your spirit Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth may almighty God bless you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit
0: amen thank you so much Bishop you're welcome Kyle
2: Tune in next Wednesday at noon for another new episode of Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.